Central. This is Tech Radio. All things computers, gadgets and web happening right now in Ireland. Hear us anytime on iTunes or download from techcentral.ie. Tech Central. Hi there, this is Dusty Rhodes and welcome to Tech Radio with all the latest in tech from around Ireland and across the world. Remember, there are many ways of getting our show. You can download directly from our website at techcentral.ie, use a smartphone podcast app, iTunes, of course, or turn us on every Friday on DAB Digital Radio with RTE Radio 1 Extra. This week, we've got a special for you because the BT Young Scientist and Technology Exhibition is taking place at the RDS in Dublin. And this year, it has a record 550 projects in competition. Niall Kitson has been to the show floor to get a flavour of what's going on, including why coffee is a better fuel source than wood, why the house always wins at roulette, and a device for helping sports medics to diagnose head injuries on the playing pitch. Check it out. Um, I'm Alice Duffy and I'm from Desmond College in Limerick. Okay, Alice, I'm looking at uh, an overview of your project here, which is an autistic communication system that uses something that's very close to all of our hearts, uh, emojis. So tell us how it works. Uh, So my blanket is to help autistic children express their emotions. So autistic children have difficulty expressing their emotions. Um, It's harder for them than other children. So by incorporating the well-known emoji into a blanket, which already has the advantage of being portable, I hope uh, to facilitate communication with, for autistic children and enhance the bond between child and caregiver. So basically, my project works very simply as it's aimed at children between the ages of 2 to 8. So I didn't want it to require any fine motor skills or didn't want anything complicated. So I, it's simply, um, there's an angry face, a happy face, a sad face and one that's love. So if the child is, let's say, feeling sad, instead of having to say, I feel sad, which is something an autistic child wouldn't come out with, they can just point to the sad emoji and the person that is minding them or their mother or siblings can just, um, they know they're sad because it can be very frustrating for the child not being able to express their emotions and the parents and the siblings or anyone that's around the child um, to understand them. And this project, uh, there's 276,000 people in Ireland Um, that autism is part of their everyday lives, either living with autism or caring for those with autism. Well, my name is Robert Guest and my project is an algorithm for increasing the efficiency of computer component selection. Okay, so uh, I know it's quite bamboozling when people go to buy a new PC. There are so many elements there, be it a graphics card, be it a cooling system, and people are very curious to know what they need to buy in order to be a little bit future-proof or merely just to meet their needs. So tell me a little bit about how your project works. Well, how my project works is that if you decided that you're going to build a computer or even that you just want to buy a computer and you want a PC, that it can be very difficult if if you have the option to choose what components you're using. You have to decide whether I'll get this, whether I'll get that. And the problem with the computer component market is that there's just a vast amount of different options options for each part so especially in the mid-range in between 500 and 1000 euros there's so many different options it's just impossible to trawl through all of them and I've had first-hand experience of this myself because I built a computer during the summer and it was just it took me months of research to figure out what parts I wanted to buy so that I could make the most of the money that I had so I thought it doesn't is it really necessary to have to spend so much time to doing this and um, my project is I built a piece of code that has a database of all the relevant components that are recently recently released. They're still up to date and they're fairly good value. And once I had this database, then I built an algorithm 
that chooses from them and it goes one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, and it chooses all the different components and it looks back at the other ones and makes sure that everything's compatible. So you just put in your budget and it'll tell you a compatible system and it's not meant to be the be all and end all where you have to buy this if you have this amount of money. It's just useful as a starting point where you know it'll work and if you want to change something you can. My name is John Ryan and I'm a student from St. Joseph's College, Bursley. My project is using deep neural networks to find offensive text and use this to help combat online harassment. Great, so this is uh, something that's aimed at cyberbullying, aimed at you know, protecting people online. So tell us a little bit about how it works. So um, machine learning is, allows um, computers to learn from data. It has, a, has become very, very popular in recent years because the more data we're getting, the better com- computation we're getting, and just um, improvements in the actual algorithms used to do this. So the type of um, machine learning models I'm using in this project is uh, called neural networks. They're based on the structure of a brain. So you have many mathematical functions connected together similar to the structure of the neurons in your brain. So what it does is it learns... um, So I collected a large data set um, of over 20,000 labelled examples with saying they're bullying or not bullying. And then the model learnt based on that alone is or isn't a piece of text harassing. Um, I'd hope that this could be integrated into the likes of Facebook, Twitter. They could take it onto their platforms or even use their own machine learning models, but at least I've proved that the concept is doable and one, um, the model is actually above human performance. So one thing we measured when, when I measured when creating this was um, human accuracy. Human accuracy on this problem is only 85%. Um, you would think it'd be much higher, but it shows that it is actually a difficult problem with ma- many people disagreeing. And then the, the greatest model's accuracy was 86.2%. So it is actually above human performance. So the, the, I was able to um, perform these calculations due to um, on a graphics card. I was able to repurpose it to um, perform these calculations much faster than I would have been able to do otherwise. And uh, using a graphics card is very interesting because this is pretty much off-the-shelf technology, isn't it? It is, yeah. Um, it's one... One of the major breakthroughs in this area was um, um, in the early 2000s, um, a group of researchers realized that the operations used to perform graphical operations are very, very similar to the operations used to train these models. So they um, were able to train much larger and much faster than others and were able to get much, much better performance and accuracy than others. Uh, I am Shane Gilbride. Uh, we come from Monaghan. I'm from Glasgow myself, from Beach Hill College. Cale Maguire, Mulnock Monaghan, Beach Hill College. And tell me a little bit about your project, because this is um, sort of kind of using sensor technology and very, very simple technology to help people with dementia manage their lifestyle. Um, so basically the idea was my grandmother is diagnosed with Alzheimer's. Just to point out, this device is not just for people with Alzheimer's, it's for people for like elderly, anyone, um, disabled people, anyone who just needs a bit of help around the house. But basically what we decided to do, when we went out to look for a device like this, um, my, grandmother, uh, my grandmother needed something to help with the lights at the house, like she'd leave the TV on, she'd leave the heater on, every, anything with plugs, she'd leave it on. It was a fire hazard, you know what I mean? You'd come home in the evening, the house would be sweltering with heat. It was ridiculous. So we looked for something that could maybe turn the plugs off, turn the heaters on, you know, off when it gets too hot. But we couldn't find anything. And the, the, most, the cheapest thing we could find was about a like 1,000 euros. And it was a couple of plugs, you know what I mean, that just turned things off. So I went out and I decided that I wanted to make something. And then it just so happened the BT came up at this time uh, in my science room. 
So I decided I'd make something, um, and the idea was I wanted to make something that cost next to nothing. So this entire project here costs about 20 euros to make, and that was the idea of it, is that we used next to nothing. If you look over here, some of the wires are a bit messed up and a bit like soldered and taped at some sides, but that's the point of it. Like the battery pack comes from an old toy. As you can see, that box, it doesn't look too good itself. But the idea is, very simple, is that it's, it's as cheap as possible. It's to show using science, using technology, and using a bit of wit, we can make something that is, is very useful and that can help people's lives practically um, and you know, make people's lives easier in every way. I think it's really that lifestyle management uh, edge of the project that is, the, that is a really good hook. Uh, yeah, of course. You know, we just wanted to make something that's just accessible to everyone. Of course, this project, it has many uses and uh, mainly Alzheimer's, but like, you know, you could, could really go anywhere, really. My name is Preva Perdue. Uh, my name is Saib Lihi from Earthline Thurlis in Tip. Now, you've got sort of a project that I think will deal with a, a very important social issue over the next few years because we're all avid texters and senders of instant messages. So what were you looking at? Um, we were really looking at how young people today are on their phones so, so much and we text so much and we found out how long we spend on our phones and how we wanted to find out if our texting is affecting our finger dexterity. So we found out that we spend roughly 90 minutes, 95 minutes a day texting on our phones, which we were really surprised about. And so we decided to do a peg test, which would show our dexterity and our ability. So uh, what kind of results did you get from, from it? So we know how long we're, we're using our phones, but what kind of negative effects did we see? We didn't really see any negative effects. There wasn't really, um, there was no um, real effect of, on your finger dexterity. I'm Jennifer Vance. I'm Connor Patterly. Uh, Warren Learn, and we're from Dunshock Community College. Now, I'm looking at this um, project, and I know where I live, this would be an absolutely fantastic idea because I'm pretty lazy and I don't have a lot of room. So tell us a little bit about it. Oh, well, our first design, we plan to mechanically sort the waste by exploiting all the physical properties, but it wasn't a very cost-effective way of doing it. So we tried a different method, which Warren can tell you about. So Warren, this is kind of a, a self-sorting bin. So who do you expect will actually be using this kind of technology? Uh, to be honest, it is open for everyone to use. Like uh, anyone can actually use it. Like it's actually simple to use. But it's really kind of hard to explain because of the complicated uh, patterns of it. So yeah, uh, the scientific part isn't as easy as the other rest of the parts. So tell us about the design process and what components you selected because, you know, this isn't a, a huge industrial project. I'm looking at a, a circuit board and a few sensors. Well, we actually have two parts to our uh, project. So one part is a self-sorting bin, which mostly Warren worked on it with Jennifer. And I worked on the self-sorting bottle bank, which is a bottle bank that sorts each type of bottle. And we do that by breaking up the light. We're sending a, a beam of light through the bottle and breaking it up. I, in a diffraction grating, so it'll only go so far depending on the color of light. And the circuits you see here just detect the light, and we put that in a specific place in the in the bin to detect which bottle is going where. So whether you have a green bottle or a brown bottle or a clear bottle, it will be able to detect that for you. Yeah, and then it will be moved to the correct part of the bin and sorted. I'm Holly Meany. I'm Emer Power. 
and we're from Our Lady of Mercy Secondary School, Waterford. And your project is looking at the effects of concussions in sports, and particularly rugby you were looking at first. So tell me a little bit about the, where, where the idea came from. We play rugby ourselves and we noticed that there is no device available to clubs that can detect concussion. We were at a match one day and we saw one of the senior players receive a really bad tackle and the doctors like took him off the pitch but there was no- nothing there to say that he definitely had concussion so we wanted to try combat that and see could we do anything to help improve this. So what does the, the product look like? I mean, I, I imagine this is all based on the use of sensors and accelerometers and gyroscopes, which is technology that we already have in our mobile phones. So how exactly does that work then when somebody takes, takes a, a smack? Okay, so basically what we have is an Arduino, which is a, just a small device that you can buy basically anywhere online. And what this, what we had to program it because you can use them for anything. So we programmed it to show up on a coach's or a medical member of medical staff's computer that player ten or player nine has may have a possible concussive impact. So uh, somebody will have a, a control panel and they'll be able to monitor their team in, in real time. Yeah, exactly. So in terms of the head injury assessments that are out there at the moment, um, what kind of feedback are you getting from coaches and people in sports? You know, are people going, look, this is something we've, we've been waiting on? Well, we talked to a few doctors sorry, and we talked to our rugby club and they were like, yeah, it's a really good project. So far, our project's like a, a circuit board and we want to develop it into a chip. But as a lack of time and resources, we didn't have enough time to put it into a chip. But for the future, we want to put it into a chip and we believe we could put it into a scrum cap with some padding and therefore it will like detect concussion. So you won't even notice that you're wearing it. It'll be less obtrusive even than the, than the GPS packs that they're wearing already. Yeah, it would just be a little chip in a scrum cap surrounded by padding. My name's Maeve and I'm from County Antrim. My name's Anna and I'm from County Antrim. I'm from St Kellyans. So tell me a little bit about, about your project because it's sort of, it tackles one of my great loves in life, which is drumming. So um, this is also has an assistive technology element to it as well. So tell me a bit about it. Well, um, we took a survey at the beginning of, of like children and asked them what instrument they would like to um, do, and majority of the people chose drumming. So we decided to make um, uh, we like we used a Wii remote because most people have them around the house. It's cheap and it's easy to use and access, and um, people with severe disabilities are able to press the button and make the sound of a drum without actually having to buy one or play one because they're not able to, and it makes it easier for them. So tell me a little bit about the technology behind the project because you're using a Wii Remote, but you're not using a, a Wii console. Well, the Wii Remote's connected to the Raspberry Pi and then the main program that's written in is in Python 2 and every button on the Wii Remote is equal to a number and every number is equal to a different sound when the button's pressed. And uh, tell me a little bit about how it was tested. Well, we went to the school Roddensfield and the... They, we got working with people with disabilities and they tested it and pressed the buttons and this wee girl Amy, she really enjoyed it and we saw that it was a um, positive thing and she enjoyed it and it worked well. Hello, my name's Megan Wilson. Hello, my name is Emily Gregory and I'm from Baylorborough Community School. And tell me a little bit about your project which is a smartphone hologram. Basically what a smartphone hologram is, is using recyclable materials which you can find in probably every home, like old CD cases, shoe boxes, a bit of paint, a bit of sellotape, 
Basically what you do is you cut out the shape of the hologram and stick it together from the CD cases. And then you just make the stage from an old shoebox. You cut the top out of the shoebox and two sides. And you can get hologram videos off YouTube or you can, or if you really want, you can make your own like we've done. So um, what kind of material have you been projecting just uh, as tests? Um, well, we started off doing ones off YouTube. Like there was images of butterflies and fireworks. And then we made our own, which is a video of Megan talking. And she was saying what our project is about in the video. And so it's projecting her um, in the video. And what sort of applications do you think you'll see going forward? I mean, is, is this sort of the future of smartphone entertainment? I, I think so, because like so, much, so far a lot of people have been asking what it does, how does it work? And it's go, I'd say it's going to be very useful for like film technology and even just for smartphones to produce videos and films and everything. Um, my name is Deirdre Hughes and my name's Ali and we're go to Colossal in Galway. And you've done something very interesting with RFID technology, uh, particularly in helping people manage their health. So tell us a little bit about the Hox project. Um, well, there's two devices in the Hox project. There's the Chatterbox Companion as well as the Hox Band or Card. And um, the Hox Band or Card is basically a, a band that contains RFID tags that hold your medical information to help make the process of finding out what medication you're on, your allergies, easier for doctors to find out another medical information that they need in order to treat you. So this is kind of a, a medical alert bracelet, only one better. Yeah, I suppose, yeah. It's basically, so whenever you go into a hospital, they can find out all of your information straight away. So if you can imagine, if you're someone with 25 prescriptions, if you're an elderly person or if you're someone with a very chronic illness, you know, they could have many, many uh, prescriptions and you can't expect them to know all their pills off by heart. So when they go into a hospital, they can give up the band, they won't have any stress of it, you know, straight away, they'll know all of your pills, all of your medication, anything they need to know to treat you safely and it will also speed up the process um, going through hospitals because as many like as you've probably seen in RT news or any other news sites you know there's tons and tons of overcrowding in hospitals they in Galway where we're from they had to actually ask people to stop coming into A&E they were too packed up that's insane it's our it's our health system like so what we basically basically if the more people had these then they could be treated quicker and obviously it won't make more trolleys it won't make more space but it could make the whole process simpler and quicker and safer probably as well because you can't always guarantee if they are calling up your doctor asking for information the doctor will remember everything Hi, Olivia Maris Nolan Neve Tennant from Manskull Gorman Wexford and your project is about making it um, I guess more normal more natural for young people to speak Irish at home yeah, we wanted to make sure the children were starting an early age for Irish. And, you know, it's becoming a dead language and we wanted them to know that there's more to Irish than what you learn in school. So what kind of uh, vocabulary are, are you looking to build here? Were you looking at the kind of thing people are learning in school or were you looking at sort of more informal Irish? So first we're f- focusing on the colours and animals first, but then we're hopefully we're hoping to expand on that. But at first it's easier for the children to understand the colours and animals and the basic phrases in Irish language. And how have you found the reception so far? I mean, did, did you have a large group uh, for testing? Uh, we 
did. We were lucky enough to secure a place to visit the three local schools that we had surrounding us. And the teachers and staff were amazing and they let us run free with the kids and experiment and have loads of fun. My name's Caelan O'Donnell. I'm from Art School Earmultic in Bandon. Now, they say that the house always wins when it, when it comes to gambling and, you know, they often say that in regards to, uh, to cards, but... Well, yeah, the house always wins. And with this roulette wheel, more so than any other. Now, the roulette wheel is biased. It's biased because of how it's made, its construction. The ridges where the ball falls into are called frets. In a normal roulette wheel, they make a very good, the casinos make a very good job of making sure they're all identical, the same size, everything. In this one, as well, it's hard to see, but they're all different sizes. Some large, but most small. You'll find when you spin the ball clockwise that the ball will almost always land on black or red. That is because of the construction of the wheel. The ball will fall down into the pockets, it'll roll along past the really small frets, and it'll stop at a large fret. And as you can see, at every large fret, there's a black or a red. A black or a red. No, the, true is for the, the same is true for the opposite, except in favour of blue. So when you spin the ball counterclockwise, it'll almost always land on blue because it'll fall down, roll along the small frets and stop at a big fret. And you'll find that blue is on the opposite side of the red at the big frets. So blue, 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 blue. So uh, again, when you look down on the roulette wheel, everything seems per- perfectly kosher. You, you just see the frets. You don't actually think about um, sort of their, their dimensions. So when you were looking at things from a, a mathematical perspective then, what results were you expecting to find? Well, we're, we're expecting to find a strong bias in favour of either blue or black and red, depending on how we spun the wheel. So we have pie charts here just showing it in favour of blue. So we span the wheel in favour of blue, which is counterclockwise. And as you can see... Sorry, uh, counterclockwise. And as you can see, the blue came up 53% of the time, so more than half, even though blue only makes up one-third of all the, all the pockets. So the pockets are split between blue, red and black, a third each. But when you spin in favour of blue, blue comes up more than half of the time. So when people are, you know, betting on red or black, all I have to do is spin the ball in favour of blue and I'm almost certain to win. I can then do the opposite. So when people start to cop on to blue and start betting in favour of blue, I just spin the ball in the opposite direction and blue only comes up 17% of the time. So it's a win-win for me. Hi, my name is Stephen Cushion and I am from St. Declan's College on the Navan Road. And your project is about LiPi, which is sort of a, a competitor to Wi-Fi. So tell us a little bit about it. Uh, yes, my, my project is LiPi, which is a new form of wireless communication that uses an ordinary LED household bulb to transmit internet data uh, from, uh, in a more secure and healthy way because there is no longer any radio waves that will interfere with stuff like healthcare devices if you're in hospitals and the sensitive equipment on aeroplanes. So tell me a little bit about um, sort of the back end that you're using here because obviously enough you can't have a, a giant radar dish or whatever. So what have you been using in your project? Uh, I use two Raspberry Pis which are cheap computers that uh, allow me to control the serial interface on them. So uh, using a Raspberry Pi in a circuit which is comprised of a MOSFET and which is a big transistor uh, to turn on and off the household LED light. 
and then I use on the receiver circuit a photodiode and a few transistors to receive the light data and convert it back into digital data for the Raspberry Pi to then interpret as internet data and send it to my MacBook. Right, so have you been um, accessing the internet or just networking home, pro home uh, products? Uh, well, for my demonstration today, I'd like to be able to show a Skype call through Li-Fi. Uh, right now, it's only... So, I want to make a Skype call as part of my demonstration today, which will uh, show the speed in which uh, I have achieved. Uh, Li-Fi is only in its very early stages and has only achieved uh, 115 kilobits a second, which is just enough to sustain a Skype call, but uh, it is... Uh, at the same stage that Wi-Fi was and dial-up, when dial-up was around. So maybe, so maybe five years' time we might be seeing light uh, as a preferred networking method over radio waves. Uh, yes, so I hope to uh, market this as an educational tool at the moment, and then over the next coming months or years with hopefully a greater budget of more than 50 euro to develop it more uh, to get the range and speed better. Hello, my name is Emily Murphy and I'm a first year student in St. Mary's Secondary School, Mallow. So tell me a little bit about your project because uh, it's all about coffee and I know offices run on coffee and we're all very fond of it. Um, but once we're done with it, we, we, we don't really think an awful lot about what happens to the grounds and you've got a very novel idea for what to do with them. So um, my main objective of this project was to investigate the feasibility of converting waste coffee grounds into a substitute biofuel pellet for um, home heating systems or as an alternative barbecue fuel. So uh, the coffee grounds are, um, or sorry, um, the coffee is filtered by pouring hot water over roasted co uh, grounded coffee beans. For every gram of coffee used in the brewing process, 91% of waste is produced, most of which is going to landfill sites. So my main aim was to um, uh, find a way of minimising this waste through making a biofuel pellet that could um, be substituted for fossil fuels as they are the world's most used fuel for burning, even though they are harmful for the environment and uh, non-renewable. So I, for my initial research, I, I carried out an investigation into coffee waste and its uses through an online search using websites such as Wikipedia and ResearchGate. I then sourced the waste coffee grounds in my local town, contacting three businesses, um, namely Costa Coffee, the Hiberian Hotel and Dano Sencha, who provided me with um, Costa Coffee, Bewley's Coffee and Frank and Honest Coffee. I then prepared the waste coffee grounds by um, air drying them for seven days, uh, spreading them out on splash trays in my uh, school's laboratory. I then oven dried them for four hours at 170 degrees. I tested out different binding agents, as from research I learned that they are used to combine the, pellet, the substance being pelleted and help it burn better in two ways, as it generates um, more heat and produces less ash. I initially tried to make my own pellets, compacting them with my hands, but this process didn't work very well, as there was a lot of... Um, uh, once I released pressure, um, it instantly turned back to waste coffee grounds. I then used a syringe in my school's biology lab, and this worked better, but still wasn't good enough. So I used a steel pellet, um, a pellet press maker made out of steel from a company called Chagas. This worked better and compressed the pellets more, but still wasn't good enough as they were crumbling and fell apart when handled. So the last thing I did was I searched online to try and find a pelleting mill in Ireland, and I came across two, one in UCD and one in Chagas Agricultural Centre. I contacted Chagas in Car County Carlow and spoke to John Finnan, who is head of the uh, biofuel department, 
And I went up to Carlo to pellet my coffee mill in their laboratory, um, in their pelleting mill. To, yeah. And how did it work out as a, as a fuel source? Um, it actually turned out very good, and after doing some tests, uh, we found out that it had a higher energy content than timber pellets with an average of 22,000 joules per gram. And that was Niall Kitson reporting from the BT Young Scientist and Technology Exhibition at the RDS. The event is open to the public for the remainder of the weekend. We heartily recommend that you get along to it if you can. For more information, see their website, btyoungscientist.com. That's it for our show this week. Remember, not only will you get more details on Young Scientists, but also all Irish tech news with hourly updates, daily newsletters and more from our website at techcentral.ie, as well as our weekly tech radio show here online and every Friday at 6pm on DAB Digital Radio with RTE Radio 1 Extra. Until next time, from myself, Dusty, and from Niall Kitson, thanks so much for listening. Have a great weekend. Get Tech Radio. Subscribe for free with iTunes or download on demand at techcentral.ie. Tech Radio is produced by digitalaudioproductions.com. Tech Central.